0: hey guys and welcome back to mind the green space the podcast where we talk about all things adventure sustainability and mental health and how they all somehow interconnect this podcast in collaboration with pelvic parks to find out more about them check out the description below Welcome back to Mind the Green Space. This week I'm joined by a very special gra- guest, Grant from the kingo Mountains. So, Grant, if you'd like to say hi and say what your role within the Kingle Mountains is.
1: Yeah, hello, um, I'm Grant Moore. Um, I am Chief Executive of the Cairngorms National Park Authority.
0: Awesome. Um, I say Kingle Mountains then. That's just because when I think of the Kingle all I think of is just the amazing mountains that are in that national park um i went there earlier this year for the first time and i think it is by far my favorite national park we just got there we um we wild camped by uh, near lake Morlick and i i don't think i've ever woken up so happy after wild camping in my life
1: yeah um, no it's an, it's an incredible place um great mountains um great place to be out in the outdoors great place to go for walks and cycling and kayaking and and all manner of things Uh,
0: (laughs) So how did you get involved? Why did you want to work for the Cairngorms National Park?
1: Um, Well I I started um, walking and climbing when I was about seven years old. Um, I'm originally from Perthshire so Cairngorms were sort of on the doorstep so spent a lot of weekends um, up there um, enjoying the place. Um, Went to university in Aberdeen which was relatively close to the Cairngorms as well and spent a lot of weekends climbing in the Cairngorms. and then um, got into work around sort of land management issues. Worked at Lockholm in the Trossachs National Park, and then and then ended up at the Cairngorms um, about eight years ago now.
0: Yeah. so you kind of always been drawn to that national park then.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's a dream job for me to work in the Cairngorms. It's a it's a, it's a great place and uh, really interesting work.
0: Yeah, I am very jealous of your job right now. Like you probably have one of the best jobs. For me, but I think anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't don't tell anyone though. You know that's it. Just keep it keep it quiet. You know.
0: (laughs) Um. So, a national park authority is something new that I've come across because I don't think a lot of people, when they visit national parks, understand what goes on in the background to maintaining the national parks. So, can you tell us a little bit about them? What goes into the work that you guys do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we work with a load of different people all across the park to try and make sure that. well, we've got four aims. So they're mainly around things like natural and cultural heritage and making sure there is enhanced recreation management, um, resource management, and then looking after the parks, uh, communities, socioeconomic side of things within the park. So we do a whole load of work from planning to conservation work to path maintenance. Um, you name it, we get involved in it. Um, and that is, the park authority is funded from uh, Scottish government money, so it's um, it's uh, taxpayers who pay for, if you like, the upkeep and maintenance of a lot of the work within the Cairngorms National Park.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think also it's such a large piece of land as well, like when I went, I think I only spent the day there, and I feel like I saw not even 1% of what I had to offer, it was just huge so how do you then make sure that tourists are coming like because bar campings le- like a legal thing to do in scotland but there's a lot of ways that people can get here and maybe take it too far not be prepared properly how do you then maintain that tourists aren't getting lost and here in such a vast uh, natural area
1: well it's it. i mean the garingorms is four and a half thousand square kilometers so it's about six percent of scotland um and if you know um Yosemite National Park in America, you could fit Yosemite in one and a half times into, into the Cairngorms. So it's a, oh it's a big area. Um, I mean, we get a lot of tourists. We get about two and a bit million, 2.1 million tourists each year that come to the Cairngorms. Um, and as you said, uh, people have a right of responsible access in Scotland. And I think, you know, we need to stress the word responsible, which is one of the key things. You know, people need to you know know what they're doing. So if they are wild camping, or if they're going for long walks in the Cairngorms, they need to be prepared, um, especially in winter. Uh, but also in the summer, people need to have the right gear, need to make sure that they they know where they're going, need to be able to use a map and compass. Um, you know, just being able to look at your phone is not is not the only thing you need to be able yeah. to do within, within the Cairngorms. So um, so there's a whole load of stuff that we do in terms of working with people around things like the path network within the park, making sure that that's well signed as well in the low ground, and then making sure that people know what they've got to do when they get into, into the high ground. And then obviously there are voluntary um, mountain rescue teams um, across the across the park area, who who do go out in in all weathers to to rescue people, but you know we'd much prefer people who didn't get into that situation and were prepared before before they went.
0: Yeah, I was actually in Snowdonia National Park this weekend, and it is I walked up Snowdon, and I think I'm quite into my walking, but I didn't realise how dangerous it would be in the conditions that I went up it was to climb there because it was the clouds are so low and you couldn't really see in front of you. And then I was talking to a ranger when we were at the bottom and he was like, so many people kind of underestimate how dangerous it can be to climb like such big mountains. And the amount of times they have to call mountain rescue up um, is just incredible. It's at least like once or twice a day, which blows my mind. Do you think then that people aren't quite educated enough or clued up enough to like the actual dangers there is in going to like national parks and not being prepared?
1: Well, I think it it's like all these things. I mean, most people who come to national park stick to the low ground, actually. I mean, yeah. I think it's something like 80% um, of the people who come to our park, actually, what they're coming for is low-level walks around places like Loch Morlick or Loch Allen or uh, Lina D, or places that are relatively low-level, well-signed. There are people who want to go into the high ground, and I suppose the, the thing that uh, is often is that... that what the weather is like when you're down low and what the weather is like when you're up high are two completely different things and temperatures can drop very quickly, wind speeds can get up and uh, and clouds can come down and things, get, things can get a bit more difficult. But I suppose what I would point out is actually for the amount of people that come to the park, I would say that the vast majority are, are well prepared and um, we want to make sure that when people come, they have a good time. And yeah. you know, that's that's a key thing for us, and you know it is a great place to visit. Um, but just uh, people need to be aware of what the weather doing, and need to make sure they've got the right kit with them if they're going to go into into the hills at all.
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. It was quite good when I went to the Kinglands. We spoke to a ranger and uh, we were talking kind of a bit about like education just around protecting it and um, I think when I'd gone you'd had a recent problem with someone having an open fire um, and it caused a bit of a, an outbreak of a fire in the area and then I was thinking like if someone said to me no open fires to me I was like what does what is an open fire do you get what I mean because I'm not really clued up on things do you think people then need to Kind of do a bit more research if they're going to go and like wild camp because it's legal in scotland and do these things
1: well i think what you got to think about a wild camping is where are you going um how many other people are likely to be there and what's your impact going to be so what what we're trying you know as you said uh, the ability to go and have a wild camp in scotland is is in the access uh, legislation but again it's a responsible thing to that so it means actually making sure you don't leave any trace when you leave that the next day um, and when it comes to things like fires, I, th- you know, what we've, what we try to get across this year is that we prefer people not to have um, fires within the Kangaroo National Park. The, the reason for that is that, one, you know, we've cleared up I think something like 600 fire sites. Our um, rangers this, this over this summer, because when people say, oh well, it's just my one little fire that I've had. Well, if you think of all the people who want to camp in different places, and they all have a fire, yeah. and all the fire rings that come around that then th- there's an issue in that the, the big issue for me is the potential that one of them gets away. And um, if that fire does get away and we end up burning out a large area of native pine wood um, and all the damage that comes from that, then I think we've got to really think about whether that's something we want to see. So our, our uh, preference is that people use gas stoves um, and take those with them. They can cook on those. There's no impact from those um, and have a good time while camp and make sure to leave no trace when they, they leave the next the next day. And that that's the key thing for me. But also, if you turn up somewhere that's really busy, that's already got a lot of tents, um, you should probably think pretty hard about whether that's where you want to then also go and camp. So there's, have got to have a think about what they're doing because um, we need to make sure that, we we actually want people to come and camp in the Cairn Gums and enjoy it, but they've got to actually think about, well, what's their impact going to be? And actually, is, is that something they should be doing? or Is there a better location for them to go?
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, we've talked a bit about kind of a negative side of having tourists, but national parks are for tourists at the end of the day, and that's what we want. So what are the benefits of having so many tourists come to your national park?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, we, I suppose, so there's two things to that. One is, what are national parks for? So, I mean, ultimately, the national park designation is to protect the area and to make sure that uh, we've got a quality natural environment that's being enhanced for nature that the residents can live and work within the area, and a key part of that is obviously um, the tourist economy, which makes up a big portion of of the Kingdoms National Park's economy, and it's it's really crucial. And it's it's great to see people coming and enjoying it. And of course, the flip side of it is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm about to to go and leave for a week, and I'm heading down to one of the one of the English National Parks. So I mean, it, it's you know, there the, are places that people want to go, and that's a great thing. You know, we want to see people come and enjoy themselves, to come and enjoy all the things to do, whether that be the restaurants and Pubs and tourist attractions are in the area. Whether it's going out for a walk or whether it's, um, as I said, kayaking, cycling. I mean, cycling is becoming ever more popular. Um, so many people out on bikes, out on electric bikes now as well. You know, these are good things. We want to encourage that, and we want to get, you know, people to enjoy the area and to make sure that they're they're doing that in a responsible way. And I think that's the key thing for me is that the tourism side is great, and we just need to make sure that we mitigate any of the. The issues that may arise around having lots of people who and one of the key things is lots of people who want to go to the same places yeah and this is one of the one of the things i think is quite interesting is that i said earlier that the cairngorms is a massive area and it is a massive area but actually tourists tend to all go to the same spots um, and actually those same spots can become very very busy but if you walk um you know 500 meters sometimes in a different direction you'll not be a soul if you then walk for 10 miles so it's it's those things about how do we make sure we we help to manage folk within the, those key hotspots, and then also think about the whole area
0: yeah 100 um yeah when i went to i think when we were, we were june time and there was like no one around lake moorlick which i was really surprised like in the day there was like a few people there but i thought that would be like quite a big hot spot for people but well, I like, and especially when I would go somewhere, I would, like, Google, like, 10 best things to do in King Holmes National Park or something. So that's, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, was, I mean, I mean, Lochmore is like, a hotspot. I mean, it gets a lot of people who, who come to Lochmore. That's about... Yeah. So, so the area, that Glenmore area, gets about a million visitors a year. Wow. Which Which, um, for the... For the highlands and for for the cairngorms is, is a key key hotspot area so on busy days when the sun's out and uh and and it's a lovely day the loughborough beach is obviously very busy the traffic gets very busy and and it's a it's a it's a dead-end road so again it's it's got all all those issues um associated with it so that is one of the hot spots um there are other places in d side as well that get very busy um again when the weather's nice school holidays those sorts of times of the year when when things get busy so um yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, everyone's got their list of places that they they want to go and visit, and of course, if you're if you're a visitor, you do look up sites that say, you know, what are the ten things I should do in the Cairngorms when I come. Yeah. Um, I just think uh, people should maybe sometimes have a bit of a wider think about um, other places that that they can go to within the area and and enjoy because um, it's not always not always the busiest place is necessarily the best place as well. Yeah,
0: hundred um, percent. So. Half of the, I think it's like almost half of the national park is designated to European importance of conservation. What is that, and why is it so important for the park to have that, and what are the benefits of it?
1: So the Cairngorms is, um, I suppose it is. Well, I'd say it is unique in the national park family in in the UK. Um, we've got twenty five percent of the UK's rare and endangered species within the Cairngorms. Um, we've got large areas of remnant um, Caledonian. Pinewood, we've got um, the largest um, ecological restoration project in the UK in in the Cairngorms Connect area. Um, We've got all the ecological restoration work that's happening at Mar Lodge um, on D side. And there's lots of other work happening in other uh, other states across the park as well. Um, And the the designation side on top of that is, I suppose, uh, what it's trying to do. Is to protect some of the key habitats and species that are that are in the park as well, and to and it shows what the importance of those are within things like the planning system, um, and also you know um, the management that should take place in those places. So things like we have special protection areas for Capricale we've got special protection areas for golden eagle, um, and we've got ones for habitats across the park as well. Um, and I think that that's that we've got this wild, wild core, if you like, to the national park, um, and then we've got the straths where people live and work um and obviously that's the main areas where tourists come as well um and i think it's that whole thing about how we how we manage that balance between all of those things within the park is is key
0: yeah so having so much wildlife in your national park what um and now there's more of a conversation i feel around rewilding projects have you found then that you've had sort of more funding or more people more interested in kind of like how wild the national park is if that makes sense
1: yeah, I mean it's a it's a fairly um, controversial term, I suppose. Rewilding to some people, what, what it actually means um, and what it what it doesn't mean. I mean, to to my mind, um, there's a lot of work that's been going on in the Cairngorms for a long time. So, yeah. um, you know, National Trust bought Mar Lodge. I think it was back in. I'll, I'll need to out of my memory. I think it was about 1994 they bought it. Um, and there's been a lot of work with, of what you would call ecological restoration happening in morris for a long time same with places like abernethy r s b b have um obviously there's all the work that's been happening in facial wildland limited um over the past sort of 14 15 years as well i think one of the things that we need to look at is what well We know we've got a nature crisis in this country. We also have a a climate emergency. How can we do things that will help us to address those issues within the Cairngorms National Park? I mean, that's one of the key things for us. And what are the big things we need to do to work with people, um, especially people who um, manage the land, who work on the land, and how can we work with them to actually take forward the the big projects we need to do? But it's it's incredibly important we do that because, um, you know, as I said, this is a big area, and it's the sort of place where we should be able to do this. It's a national park and um, the natural and cultural heritage of the park is 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 in that first aim of the national park.
0: Yeah so COP26 is coming up next month and they finally are only now having a full day dedicated to nature which I thought was a bit weird that they hadn't had a full day dedicated to nature because there's a whole point of trying to protect the climate and everything is to at the end of the day to protect the nature of our uh, the earth so it's really strange to me but what would you like to see then as one of the main things to come out of having such a important day around nature within COP26?
1: Yeah I mean I think we've got to look at the so we've got COP26 which is the the climate um, one obviously and then there's also COP15 happening um, which is I think the first uh, pre-meeting on that's this this week, in fact, and then the the, the full things in China next year, yeah. which is the biodiversity side of things, which is the sort of twin track. And I suppose it's exactly right, which is there's a whole um, host of things that we can do on climate that are nature-based solutions. So things yeah. that we can do like peatland restoration, like woodland expansion, like soil management um, and, and grassland management. How, how do we do all those things that will help us to make sure that we're not emitting as much... Um, uh, carbon and how do we make sure that the the nature side of things ties in with the climate side of things. I suppose that's one of the key things is how much of that can we do across the globe obviously and then within Europe and then within the UK and then within Scotland and then within the Cairngorms National Park so you sort of filter that all the way down but you know we're already doing um, we've got a peatland team within the Cairngorms so uh, we've got um, five or six folk in that team And they're outdoing peatland restoration all across the park at the moment. Uh, We've got um, about 600 hectares of peatland restoration happening this year. Um, There's a lot of woodland expansion happening in the park, roughly about 1,000 hectares a year at the moment in terms of woodlands um, in the National Park, which is a lot. um, But we know we need to do more. And we've got some big targets for those things within the the next park plan as well. So there's there's an awful lot to, to play for. I think it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of COP and what comes out of the all the, the the politics around that and we'll, we'll we'll see when when all the the dust settles on that in yeah. uh, after November
0: yeah fingers crossed that some formative change will come from that i'm assuming there will be something but yeah oh, that's
1: i, I, I I'm, I'm well I'll, I'll be optimistic at the moment
0: yes same. <laughs> um so in terms of like climate change and urbanization in the national park how have you seen it kind of change how the park is? over the years
1: and um, well i suppose the, there's two things with the i suppose since we were designated back in the early 2000s um we've seen the population increase within the park so the population's has uh, gone up from about 12 or 13,000 up to about 18,000 over that time and then we've also seen the amount of tourists increase from about 1.3 1.4 million up to 2.1 million over that time as well um and i suppose one of the things that we're going to have to Dress in the future is transport and traffic and the amount of people coming by car is getting more and more and it's getting more and more difficult to manage that side of things and then obviously that ties in with the climate side as well. So we need to have a think about what we can do on the public transport side of things and the active travel side of things as well to try and make it easier for people to use public transport in key places. And that's probably quite a big thing for us to, to think about in our, what is still a relatively remote rural area is how you can try and get people around by public transport because it's not easy and um, the current provision's not, not good enough. So that's the um, that's one of the bits. And I suppose um, you know we've, the other thing for us is to make sure we've got enough housing for people who want to live and work in the area. So that's a key thing for us is to make sure that we try and get more affordable housing. Um, and that is not easy and it's, a, it's an issue... In the national park it's an issue across rural scotland which is um you know how do you have enough housing for people who want to live and work in the place and one of our discrepancies is the the cost of housing compared to the average wage within the area and that's a that's a big issue for us especially yeah. in terms of keeping young people in the area
0: yeah i think a lot of younger people now especially coming off the back of COVID, are kind of reconnecting with green space as well like i know after Covid my kind of shift on green spaces changed, changed like before Covid me and my friend were looking at moving to London and then during Covid I was like that is probably the worst thing in the world to me now and now I'm looking at trying to get a job with a national park because it just speaks to me so much because I, I just love the idea of waking up one day and you can just see so much green space outside your house we were in the Lake District in November and we went to this little town I think it was like 6am and there was only a couple of houses and they were just across like this big Greenland with a little river and this couple were just having a coffee um on their front porch and then all of a sudden you could see this deer kind of going across the river and up the mountains and I was like you have this every day every single day that you probably get this and I'm like how could you ever not be happy when your porch looks like this? So I think my change as like a young person seeing these green spaces definitely changed. So yeah, if there's be something done about like housing prices, I mean like housing prices in general are just astronomical, but especially within green spaces, because to me, I always felt that living in a national park, like there's going to be added price onto because you are living in such a beautiful place. So it kind of seems a bit out of reach for me, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, fair point in terms of what is you know average as i said average house prices are you know rising all the time and rising at the moment especially fast with um post covid i think um people trying to leave some of the urban areas and, and live in uh, rural areas as well and and yeah. that's causing all manner of problems in terms of key workers so you know how do we get enough people to work in the local hospital or teachers or um, the things you need for functioning rural communities if you can't get a hold of housing. So there's there's a need for us to to certainly make sure that we've got enough affordable housing. And we've also got to make sure we don't have too many houses going into second homes or holiday homes. And that's a, yeah. that's a big pressure. And that's something we're looking at within the National Park as well. Because what you want is places to be vibrant and alive and real. And that means having communities of people in them that work and live in the area. It doesn't mean turning them into ghost towns where all you've got is second homes and holiday homes and there's always a place for these I mean you know we need we still need a, a portion of holiday homes within the National Park for the tourism economy it's not saying yeah. any of these but it's got to be proportionate to what you need in terms of allowing people to live and work in the area and especially difficult for for young folk to get on on the housing market and even to find rental property to, to, within the areas is a difficult thing as well We're, you know and off one of the things we've also got is a lack of one two three-bedroom houses uh, within the area as well. So there's there's an awful lot of work to be done on that. Um, and, but as you say, it is a place where a lot of people want to live. A lot of people may want to retire as well. And and so there's a lot of pressure on housing within within national parks in general. Um, and obviously talking specifically about the Cairngorms.
0: Yeah. It's kind of funny talking to you because when I think of the national park and some of the problems facing it, housing doesn't exactly spring to mind. It's like one of the first things. So... In terms of, like, some of the obstacles that you guys have overcome just to have the National Park the way it is, what are some things that you would like to see kind of ease? Is it funding? Is it more people getting involved in volunteering? Or Yeah, I mean, I think
1: there's, there's some big things there. I mean, certainly, um, I suppose there are some key issues for us in it going forward over the next 25 years. You take it out to 2045 and the sort of timeframes are in climate. Um, so there's some big land use issues that we need to... Um, Work our way through, so that is around things like ecological restoration. What does that mean for deer management? What does that mean for grouse management? What does that mean for farming within the park? And 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 how do we get all these things to work work more in harmony? So I think that's that's our big area of work. There's the whole question around um, housing and people and how you provide um, vibrant rural rural communities and also have the economy so that people can actually have jobs here that pay good wages because that's what you that's what you want and then there's the whole question about um i suppose the, the that 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 bit about who comes to the park where they come from do we show a diversity of people so do we get the you know a diversity of people coming to the park as visitors um and then do we have lots of opportunities for people to do things so volunteering is a, a great example where we've been increasing the amount of stuff through volunteering uh we've got the volunteer karen gorms program um which runs which i think has got about 600 people on its um Mailing list that gets sent opportunities to volunteer in the Cairngorms. We've got just shy of I think it's I think it was 38 at the last count volunteer rangers that work with our ranger service as well, and we want to expand that over the next few years as well. So I think there'll be lots of opportunities for people to get involved. But there's some big, big chunky things we need to need to think about and deal with as as a national park. And that's just not as a National Park Authority. That's working with all the other public bodies that work in the park. Um, the private sector works in the park, all the voluntary organisations that work in the park. And it's a complex place that, you know, what what we do as a park authority can only work if we've got everyone else working with us as well.
0: Yeah. So when you say that, because um, now getting involved with the podcast and everything, I'm starting to learn more about what a national park is and all the things that go into it. And I was talking to someone from Dartmoor National Park, And the only thing that they have complete control over is the car park of the national park. And then everything else has to be within partnership. And so there was a lot of problems that he was facing with that, because at the end of the day, the people that own the land have the money and they have more weight in terms of wanting to do something with it. So trying to I didn't realize how hard it was to actually kind of instill change in national parks. I thought it's a national park. The National Park Authority should have so much control over it. But that it isn't
1: the truth or no, I mean it's a, it's a very different model. So if you go to um well uh, you know the classic example is an American national park and I think that's what most people think about when they think about national parks, that's probably the the model that springs to mind because that's where yeah. it started you know all those years ago. Um, and that is in the main publicly owned land in the states owned by the state um or owned by the federal government that then, you know, you've got to pay to get into for a start. So things like, you know, yeah. you've got to pay your $25 or whatever it is the, the entrance fee to, to get into it. Um, and everything is controlled by the National Park Service within that area. The the model in the UK is completely different to that. And that's, that's you know, it, it has been from the start. In England, obviously, the National Parks came in in the 40s. and in, in, in Scotland, they came in uh, in the early 2000s. And the model is, that the Park Authority itself, so the Cairns National Park Authority owns no land within the Cairngorms National Park um, and it doesn't have any it doesn't have very many assets within the Cairngorms National Park. What we have is staff, we have funding um, and we have expertise and what we do is we do work with people and it does take time sometimes to make things happen Um, but I would say that if you look at um, all that's been achieved over the past 15 years there's been a lot of progress on a lot of fronts. Um, Is it always easy? No. Is it sometimes frustrating? Yes. but I suppose that art of compromise and negotiation and partnership working, ultimately, hopefully, gets you better results in the long run. Um, and yeah. I think that's um, where we've tried to get to. Um, there are still some big issues where there are lots of controversies, and there are bits of um, work which polarize opinions. You know, so I mean, you only need to look at some of the some of the discussions around land use to see very very differing opinions between different sides of debates and I think what the park authority has to do is to try and pick our way through that and try and find out what is the right thing for the cairngorms um that will be that'll be good for the future and uh, that's not always easy but it is it is
0: good fun to try and do yeah exactly remember at the start of the podcast and I said I was jealous of your job I'm starting to change my mind because you seem to have a lot of responsibility and what you need to do <laughs> well,
1: that, that is to tell you too, that is one of the one of the joys of working for the National Park Authority is um, you do get involved in an awful lot of different stuff. Um, So it's not about, we're not, you know, it's just one thing. It's about the place. And then we tend to get involved in an awful lot. So I can have a conversation in the morning about, I don't know, the future of the pine hoverfly in the Cairngorms. You can have, uh, you know, another meeting later on in which it's about the next, the, planning development and then you might have another meeting later on in which you're talking to the equalities forum about what's happening in the park and they're all completely different but they're all part of the same sort of makeup of how do you make the place better for the for for people i mean yeah. ultimately um we work for for the people of scotland um and that's what we've got to try and do is always keep that in the back of our mind
0: yeah 100 so what's one of your favorite parts then of the king gorms national park
1: well this is uh this is tricky for me um <laughs> I mean I've I, so it's quite funny when I was a kid um I always came to the Cairngorms from the south side through Glen Shee because that was the closest road to, to hit north you hit, hit Braemar yeah. um and uh, you went up to Lynn of and then off you went into the Cairngorms so um that bit where you where you where you turn I suppose from Braemar around into Lynn of and you, you get your first views towards uh, Benfhurd and across towards Ben McDewey and such like as you as you go along the road to Lundy is is pretty pretty special uh, for me. And then on this side, I mean, I live in Granton now on on on, on the Strathspey side, and um, I I love it with Lockins down down uh, uh, near the sort of entrance towards uh, Feshie. It's a it's a cracking spot. Forest Forestman yeah. Scotland own that, and it's um, it's a lovely lovely walk to do with the family.
0: Oh, wow. I'm starting to realise how little I saw now and I really just need to go back. I said when I was there, I texted my boyfriend. My boyfriend hates camping. I went with them the trip and I was like, we're getting you a tent, we're getting you a sleeping bag and we're just going straight to Kingdoms. I need you to see this place to understand how beautiful it is. So,
1: I, in I, all yeah. fairness, there's a fair few people, I mean, as much as lots of people do like camping, there's also a fair few people who don't like camping as well. So, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> so there's lots of other places to stay that don't involve camping as well. Nicole.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was actually his first time camping this weekend. I um, We went up Snowdon and... October probably wasn't the best time to take him in the first place, but when he saw that we were sleeping on foam camping mats, I think, yeah, the relationship was on the rocks after he saw. It. <laughs> and I was like, we got to do it properly.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely, What does the future then look like for Kangaroo Mountains uh, National Park? <laughs>
1: Um, I think, well, I mean, it, it's that thing, which is, I, I mean, the Cairngorms the are an incredibly special place. They mean an awful lot to an awful lot of people. Um, and so the future is really trying to make sure that we still um, protect what is the things that people love about the Cairngorms, but also look at how we can um, restore them as well, ecologically, make sure that they are a place that is absolutely fantastic for nature. Make sure it's a place that does have good jobs that people can Get the housing that they need, um, and I suppose it is trying to try to make sure that they're also in the long run. You know, the, the whole move to net zero, making sure that we we're doing what we can to help that agenda in terms of Scotland being net zero by twenty forty five. And I think that that's the whole big future for us is looking at all of those things together. But um, I mean, you know, it's as much about the people who live within the park, and it's as much about the visitors to the park as well, making sure that they also have a sort of vision for the rooms themselves because we want to get people involved in that. It isn't a technocratic thing where the park authority is the people who do that stuff and everyone else, you know, sits to the side of that. You know, people who come to the park have got to be part of that. You know, we've yeah. got to think about what they can do as well when they come. Um, and obviously we want to work with the residents and, and the folk who work in the, uh, in the park as well to make sure that, that they're part of that. So I think that's that's the big the big vision, if you like, for the future is to is to work on all these things collectively and see if we can we can make the rooms the best place it can be.
0: That's awesome. I love that um, you have to work as like a collective as well because then I feel like if there was just an authority that was put in charge and was like we're making all these changes then it would make it maybe not as nice of a place for the people that work there, go there, like live in the national park. Because I feel when I think of a national park I just don't imagine that people live there for some reason. Um, I didn't actually think that until like Year ago, I always just assumed that you couldn't live in a national park, if that makes sense. But um, saying that, I live literally right outside the Bracken Beacons. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I think I think a lot of people have that that same. Well, I I think a lot of people have got in their head probably um, probably between American national parks and Yogi Bear. um, They've probably got in their in their head that um, that that they're they're these places that nobody lives. But actually, I mean, the UK lots of people live. I mean, I. As I said, there's 18,000 people who live in, in the Cairngorms. I think it's roughly the same that live in Lockerlund and the Trossex National Park. I think it's about uh, I think it's about 100,000 people live in the South Downs National Park. Wow. Um, And the Lake District, I, I think, I can't remember exactly how many people live in the Lake District, but it's, it's a fair few folk live yeah. in the Lake District as well. So th- there are places that are real living, working places, and it's got to be as much about working with those people as it is about the visitor and it is about um, nature. But the the one thing for me that, Underpins it all is that the nature and the landscape underpins all of that, you know. Yeah. And that, that's the bit that if we can get that right as well, that will help with the economy and it will help with the the social side of things, both the physical activity side of things, but mental health as well. You know, these are places that that um, people should be able to go and recharge their batteries. I mean, that that's the way that I see it in terms of, you know, why do you want to go for a long walk in the Cairngorms? Well, I, you inevitably feel better when you come back. Yeah. At spending a day out in nature, sitting under a Scots pine seeing a golden eagle, watching an ant's nest, um, whatever it might be, or even just sitting by the river or, you know, doing whatever it is that, having a picnic, that is good for the soul, if you want to put yeah. it that way, and that's something that, that you know, you want to encourage people to do.
0: Yeah, I had no idea you had golden eagles there, that's insane. Oh, well,
1: <laughs> well, we've got lo- lots of different um, golden eagles, we've got white-tailed eagles, um, we're starting to see. A few more hen hires um, in in certain places in the park, but no, it, it's um, you know there's there's a full spread of wildlife. I mean, the Cairngorms is the place to see see wildlife in 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 the UK, and uh, we want to encourage more of that. And uh, we, you know, we're doing all we can to try and make sure we've got the, the right habitats and and things for for the whole range
0: of, of species. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, that to end then, if people are coming to the Cairngorms National Park, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh, enjoy themselves! Um, you know that's the ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> you're coming to the Cairngorms National Park, you enjoy yourselves. Um, uh, the other part of that is and enjoy yourselves responsibly. And I think that's the bit is when you're in the outdoors, um, and if you're if you're camping or if you're walking or if you're, you know, don't drop litter, don't do any of the things that that um, that cause an issue. But just take in the views, enjoy the place. Um, make sure you spend time in the, in the villages and towns as well. There's lots of things to do um and to to make sure that you you uh yeah it's really crucial i think that people take time to sort of i don't know breathe it in and actually yeah. don't don't rush through it and you know you can't tick off the kirngorms in a day that's not a yeah um, <laughs> it is it is something where you've got to spend time and it's a place to come back to again and again and many people do that and enjoy and uh, many different experiences you know from taking your kayak and having a, a lazy day going down the Spey um, or um, going into the, the centre of the, the big mountains or even if it's just, as I said, sitting and having having a picnic, I think that the key thing is that people really do enjoy themselves and they come and behave responsibly and make sure that they leave the place as they found it because that's ultimately what we, we need to make sure.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, so. A quick one before, where can people find out more information about King National Park?
1: So if you go to our website at www.cairngorms.co.uk, you'll find out lots of information and you can also find out lots of tourism information on Visit Cairngorms as well.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot. I think okay. I learned more. I've done a few National Park um, podcasts before, but I think I learned more about like the dynamic of how they work from you, which I really appreciate. Thank you for that. No
1: problem at all. Nice to talk to you.
0: thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode there are new episodes every thursday and if you want to keep up to date with the mind the green space outside of the podcast make sure you check us out on instagram at mind the green space there'll be a link in the description